Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 7, issue 322. It's our first of two Zone of the Enders podcasts. You can play along with the Cane and Rinse podcast as part of the fun. If you want to commit, you can join in with us and our Final Fantasy series. We're up to Final Fantasy 4. That show will be next. Following that, another series is Resident Evil and we are up to the mighty 2002 remake. Of course, you can also play that on current-gen systems in its uh, even more remastered form. Shovel Knight follows that uh, with Josh as your host. That will be not including the DLC because uh, Josh persuaded me that the DLC is more than substantial enough to uh, to warrant its own future podcast. So that will be the vanilla Shovel Knight. After that, another recent, relatively recent independent classic, Hyperlight Drifter. And then we continue a, a rather more sporadic series with our Mario Kart Super Circuit show. Canerince.com is the place to go for the schedule up to the end of the year and articles, links to our other uh, endeavours, social spaces and so on. You can also support the show and everything that we do, patreon.com slash even for the minimum donation, which is just a dollar a month. Craziness, 75p or thereabouts, less than a euro. Uh, you will get every Cane and Rinse podcast a week early. And you get an exclusive monthly show with Jay and I as well. Uh, I think the most recent one was best part of an hour long. So, you know, if you like hearing about what we've been up to, what we've been playing recently and so on, surely that in itself is worth a dollar without all the other treats. We also have a PayPal button on the site so you can make one-off donations if you don't want to commit uh, but want to put a tip in our hat. We also have a every Wednesday podcast called Sound of Play, which is celebrating our love of the music of video games. Subscribe, review, rate this podcast and Sound of Play if you can, wherever you can, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 322 are Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Who requested uh, this show, I believe, as part of uh, part of your picks for the year. I did indeed. We'll get into why in a bit. Okay. And Mikhail Crowder. <laughs> I thought that's, uh, that is, a, is an uncanny rendition of the title screen. Um, probably slightly hindered by the fact that you're a little under the weather. Yeah. Illness-wise. Yeah. yeah. A little, 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 little bit of a crack there. Didn't quite have that eunuch-style uh, choir boy's voice that, uh, that <laughs> uh. we associate with you. Uh, anyway, good to have you along. Uh, so... What is Zone of the Enders? It is a third-person robot action game, the subtitle, uh, in the way that uh, Hideo Kojima-associated games do, uh, Tactical Espionage Action for Metal Gear Solid. This is high-speed robot action. Uh, so it's uh, it's a kind of uh, shoot 'em up come third person action game with cutscenes, uh, some CG or uh, yeah pre rendered cutscenes, some uh, story sections in first person in cockpit, but you don't have any control over those sections, uh, and it's set across various stages as you try to defend an Earth colony from attack by Earthlings. That's the skinny version. Have I missed anything? I think the 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 Bara military faction, but it's very unclear in as, at least this game is uh, has its footings on Mars, if I'm not uh, mistaken. But uh, yeah, so you're outside of Jupiter. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and not so, not too far from Mars. That's where the Enders came in. Uh, that's where that's what the Earthlings call them in a rather dismissive fashion. You have this uh, the, the space colonists for whatever reason are now considered a sort of slight subclass compared to the the, the natural born Earth dwellers. 
so this is by Konami Computer Entertainment Japan. There was a port to the last generation consoles by High Voltage Software, the HD editions. The director is Noriaki Okamura. We've got a few words from him from an interview. I was the main programmer on Police Noughts for the NEC, PC-98, 3DO and PlayStation. I also directed Tokimeki Drama Series 1 and 2. After Metal Gear, the guys upstairs put me to work on Zone of the Enders. And the producer is Hideo Kojima. Note, the producer, not the director. I think it was press at the time. Konami were very keen following the success of Metal Gear Solid to have this game heavily associated with Kojima. I don't believe he had very much to do with it at all. Okamura, the director, says, Mr. Kojima is the producer. He's created the perfect environment where our team can create the best game we can. Nowadays, he's been giving us a lot of useful hints and tips regarding the actual development of the game. I never get the impression from anything I've read that it is his story, really, or his vision. Uh, Obviously, some of the art is shared because you've got Yoji Shinkawa. I think he's more involved in the story of the first game than the second. The second, right. second, uh, the director pretty much pitched the idea of how the story should develop, and uh, and Kojima was uh, was like, uh, "All right, go ahead with it." Okay, well, we're covering too much later in the year, in a few months' time. Um, and yes, Okamura, the director of this game, is not involved in the second game at all either, is he? I believe. Uh, although he was recently involved in some capacity as a producer on uh, the recent Metal Gear Survive game. Hmm. So Nobuyoshi Nishimura was the uh, character designer and art director who is best known for his work, almost exclusively other than this, uh, for his work on Metal Gear Solid. And yes, the uh, mech designs and art supervision and box art, I think, uh, in cer- certainly in certain regions is Yoji Shinkawa, whose style is completely recognisable from Metal Gear Solid onwards. Beautiful, brilliant artist. Yeah, yeah it's pretty amazing yeah. stuff. Noriaki Okamura, uh, the director, is also one of the writers, along with uh, Shuyo Murata, who is also uh, associated with Metal Gear. So there is a lot of Metal Gear crossover here. Five composers worked on the game. We'll talk about the music, of course. Zone of the Enders actually entered development initially on PS1 and PC, but in actuality, Konami had no intention of releasing them for those platforms. Okamura says, we probably spent around a year working on the camera. It's like the thing we've been slaving away at. There are so many 3D games out there. Bear in mind, this is pre-2001. And while 3D games are fun, there's a problem in grasping what's going on. There's just so much camera motion. In this game, I don't want you to feel like you're moving a robot that's walking around very slowly. That slowly raises his arm to shoot. My goal is to realise the quick fighting action of robot animes. To do that, we've spent a lot of time getting the positions and perspectives right. Best of all, you shouldn't get motion sickness. We tried to minimise that because I get 3D sick a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's more Gundam uh, than uh, Mech Warrior. Yes, yes, that's fair. So after that development period, the game was actually released uh, solely originally on PlayStation 2 in March 2001. Uh, There was only a tiny window between the Japanese and the European release and then another few days until the North American release. The Japanese premium package version contained an original video animation entitled ZOE 2167 Idolo. Uh, It was produced by uh, veteran anime studio Sunrise, set five years before the events of the game. Uh, Okamura was satisfied with Sunrise's work, noting their experience in producing robot anime. Okamura says, uh, I never thought about the US or European audience at all. I said to myself, this is a game for the Japanese, 
by the Japanese and it will never be well received by the international market. But a few months ago, we went to,、uh, we went to the US and did the English voice recordings and the actors did a great job. We'll come back to that. When we gave them the script and showed them some footage of the game, they really dug it. They thought the game looked great. When I heard that, I was like, yikes, maybe the game could be accepted by the international market. So now I have a little more confidence. PS3 and 360 versions, as I say, were released in the fourth quarter of 2012, a few years ago now.、Uh, the original reviews back in 2001 from 56 outlets,、uh, the game scored 77% or thereabouts, with re- user reviews、uh, nowadays standing at 3.6 out of 5 on Moby Games and 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb. So on the positive side, but not glowingly so. That's the background. So, Josh, what's your history with this game? Why did you want to put it forward for this volume of the Cane and Rinse podcast? I've never played Zone of the Enders or, or its sequel.、Um, and I'll be honest, like, the main reason why I picked Zone of the Enders、um, uh, was because I wanted to play the second one.、Um, that's that's、yeah. the one that gets、um, a lot of praise from the fans. That's the one that's、yeah. kind of remembered fondly. But, you know, this is Kane and Rint. So if we're going to do something, we do the whole shebang. Normally. If we're going to cover Zone of the Enders 2, we should cover Zone of the Enders 1 as well. I'm a fan of Kojima's work. And it's funny because having now done the research for the game, as we've pointed out,、um, Kojima's <laughs>、yeah. barely involved with this game, really, and、uh, yeah. much less、yeah. so the sequel. But、um, I think, you know, there's something really appealing to me about like, the Japanese take on、um, robots and mecha.、Um, I like, I- I'm not. I really like、um, the aesthetics of Evangelion and stuff like that.、Um, mm-hmm. Just the kind of meatiness of,、um, of the combat that's depicted in those kind of animes and stuff like that. So it always felt like Zone of the Enders was this, this, this game that,、um, that, I, that was going to appeal to me, that was going to be something that I'd be interested in. And I had no excuse for not playing because it was very much, you know, my era of gaming. Like the PS2 era is the era I grew up with.、Um, so it was very much the, like this is a selection of kind of like it, it was, it was to try and fill a gap in my gaming history that. So often, like, I volunteer for stuff like SNES,、uh, you know, for SNES games and stuff like that, because,、yeah. like, it was before my time and I want to kind of experience the history of the medium. But this one, it felt like this was a real gap in my knowledge that I didn't、mm. really have an excuse for. So、um, that's、mm. why I put it forward. And which version did you play? Um, I played the PS3 HD version. So, Mikhail, do you go back with this one to the early 2000s, or have you caught up with this one in recent times? Very recent times, yeah.、Uh, I'm afraid no, none, of, <laughs> none of us are going to be super fans of this game that were there from,、uh, from day one. I got a PlayStation 2 late, and one of the first games I、uh, bought for it was、uh, Zone of the Enders, the second runner, because of high recommendations from、uh, certain people. And I absolutely fell in love with that、uh, even more than、right. I thought I would be. And I, it's one of the most impressive and best things I've ever played on,、uh, on my PlayStation 2. So, when Josh put、uh, the first and the second game up、uh, to be played、uh, this year, I f- figured this was maybe a good time to research the predecessor to、uh, one of my favorite PS2 games. 
I knew uh, going in that it was probably not going to be as good as an experience. That's why I never searched it out before, but uh, I was yeah. curious nevertheless. Josh, when you put this one forward or these games forward, were we already aware that the the uh, another remaster of the second game with, with VR was on, on its way? Was that part of it or has that been announced since? I'm not actually sure. I think it was announced since. Um, and I think huh. there was a little chat about oh of course Kane and Rince the moment we decide to cover something uh, <laughs> uh, the publishers uh, go yes hit go on uh, hit go on the new plans for the the re-release yeah, yeah but but it yeah. does seem to be that this 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 year's version whereas whereas the the double pack they released back in 2012 was both games I think they're just focusing on the much more highly regarded second game this time aren't they or is is the first game part of the package i'm not actually no, sure it's it, it is just the second one yeah right yeah. um okay interesting okay well we, obviously we are going to cover that later this year uh yes yeah, so i have a memory of playing a demo of zone of the enders which seems odd because i don't really remember getting too many ps2 demos i'm not sure maybe it was a video demo maybe maybe it was a dvd demo or something like that i'm not sure uh i've it's 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 vague and faint and it's also curious because the word demo comes up a lot when you talk about the original Zone of the Enders because it was famously packaged with uh, a demo for the then hugely anticipated Metal Gear Solid 2, much in the same way as the Halo 3 beta was was bundled in with Crackdown. I think a lot of people uh, bought and sprung for Zone of the Enders with a mild you know, interest in this uh, space Japanese robot game, but actually they were pumped for the Metal Gear Solid 2 demo. My memories are faint. I, I going into this, I finally I, I bought this uh, HD double pack at the time. I've been saving up to play it for the show, and so now I have done in the last uh, week or so. Going into it, I wasn't entirely sure about um, anything about it really, other than I knew it was a mech. There was a mech involved. I didn't know what the enders were. I didn't know why it was called that. Uh, I didn't know how much of a shoot 'em up or a beat 'em up it was. I, I gathered there was some of each. So yeah, it's been a bit of a bit of an eye opener. I now know all about it, and I have completed the game. So Skatecats, our first contributor from the forum, says Zone of the Enders holds a dear place in my heart. It was the first game I picked up for the PS2 and also the first game I bought with my own money. I was 10 at the time. And to top it off, it was my first introduction to the mind of Hideo Kojima. More on that later. I bought the game without knowing anything about it. I just thought the cover art was really cool and I was going through a mecha anime phase at that time in my life. Jehuti, I think, is the coolest mech design to appear in any medium of entertainment. It was love at first sight. The story, while not terribly unique, was well executed, with memorable cutscenes that blew me away at the time, and fun dialogue exchanges between Ada and Leo. Even though the voice acting was laugh-out-loud cheesy at some times, it added to the overall charm of the experience. It was clear where the influences came from, with elements of Robotech, Gundam and Neon Genesis, and the game seemed to proudly display it. It is certainly Kojima's love letter to the mecha genre. As for the gameplay, it's kind of a mixed bag for me. I absolutely adored the combat. Jeheti has some of the flashiest movesets I've seen in a game of that generation, my favourite being the giant energy ball attack, only matched by the Devil May Cry on God of War series. While the combat was very fun and engaging, some of the encounters lasted a bit too long, which made it slightly repetitive. The lack of enemy variety didn't help either. The bosses, however, were an absolute blast and were all vastly different in terms of how you had to approach the combat. Overall, the combat is extremely satisfying. The experience out of combat is a different story. Making your way through the environments is bland and could get very boring very fast. You felt like a butterfly flying around rather than a badass super mech. 
The hub world, however, is a better experience. I love flying around the space station and taking in the sights, as the art direction in the game is excellent. I also couldn't believe that games were capable of such massive open environments at the time. You definitely got the feeling that you were the protector of the space station and felt your importance to everyone in it. Once I beat Zone of the Enders, I popped in the bundled Metal Gear Solid 2 demo disc. I'd never heard of the Metal Gear series up to that point, and I didn't know what I was in for. I was blown away. As I mentioned above, ZOE was my first introduction to Kojima. I thoroughly enjoyed Zone of the Enders, but the Metal Gear Solid 2 demo sealed the deal. I was a Kojima fan. I wasn't a big gamer by any means at the time until I stumbled upon two games that got me seriously into the hobby, Metal Gear and Halo. Zone of the Enders started my interest in space operas, which directly influenced me to pick up Halo. While my experience with the Metal Gear Solid 2 demo disc showed me the possibilities of storytelling in gaming. In short, I wouldn't have become the gamer I am today without Zone of the Enders. So again, lots of shouts for Kojima there, who's, again, just the producer on this game. Uh, I say just the producer, that that sounds belittling, but I think there still lingers a sense that this is a Kojima vision of a game, and I really don't think it is. Uh, I think that was very much put front and centre by Konami. Kojima was one of the kind of earlier names in the industry who was you know, who became known as a creative talent and i think they they were very happy to to put his name forward as the as the kind of the, the marquee name but actually and it's just yeah it's it's just lingered for yeah 17 years that this is a kojima game i don't maybe i'm being unfair and 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 i don't mean to be dismissive of those people who think it think of it as a kojima game but i think that it was a lot to do with the way konami handled the publicity yeah. for it some people uh, perceive this as the first Kojima Productions game without the actual uh, yeah uh, nomer or the, the actual name attached to it. Right. Um, and it's very hard to gauge uh, how much he really was involved because any involvement could have been a, a lot of PR speak, of course. Uh, I also was interested just because of the subject to this game. Like, I'm not a Robotech, Gundam, Neon Genesis, Evangelion even if, the, if that's even how you pronounce it, uh, kind of guy. Um, obviously, I've had a certain amount of contact with mechs and mecha in games and fiction over the years, but I'm certainly no uh, expert or fan. Uh, where do you guys stand on this stuff? Like every person who's kind of just um, slightly interested in anime, um, I, I tend to just go for the cream of the crop the ones that fans go if you if you only watch one mecha anime watch this mm-hmm. one and it is evangelion neon genesis so i have seen mm-hmm. that and i do really like that but it that's yeah. that's because it's kind of it's an outlier uh, in the genre of uh, mecha because it's a it's about kind of deeper themes beyond just the action yeah. sequences whereas yeah. um and i i don't want to feel like i'm dismissing Gundam I I know a lot of people love it but for me it doesn't do much for me because a lot of what it's about is the fight sequences it's you know Dragon Ball Z is like that as well it's very much putting the set pieces first and the characters second and um, I'm less interested in that but um, in terms of aesthetics I think this game is probably drawing more from Evangelion than Gundam would you think that's fair Mikhail? 
Um, I'll bow to your superior knowledge in this because I'm not the hugest uh, fan, oh, even though it feels like I should be more of a fan, you know, it feels like I should be watching more of these animes. <laughs> I'm general, I generally enjoy uh, reading mangas more than uh, animes, but I don't really go out of my way to search any of it out. So maybe that's the, the problem. Well, it's, uh, it's good to know just in terms of how excited uh, the likes of us might be about being a cool space mech. Uh, so somewhat rather than very, I suppose, is the answer. Anyway, uh, the scenario in brief, it's the late 20, uh, 22nd century. And as we said, uh, humans have colonized Mars and Jupiter's orbit. Obviously, you can't really colonize Jupiter in the same way because it's a gas giant. Uh, there are giant robots known as laborious extraorbital vehicles, uh, and they've helped them uh, put this stuff together. But uh, there are also uh, sort of military and paramilitary organizations armed with these uh, so-called orbital frames, which are the mecha. Uh, and the story begins when uh, an attack is mounted by one of these uh, nasty groups from Earth itself, I believe, uh, attacking the colonies. I've uh, I've just read up on it in the PS2 game manual, and uh, they're actually a, a faction uh, that has its origin on Mars. Oh, okay, my mistake. Probably does explain that in the game, but um, maybe maybe not very clearly. Yeah, I, the, I think that's the the. We'll maybe get on to that a little bit later, but that's kind of the. Maybe not the problem, but there's not a whole lot of world building going on in the game yeah. itself. Uh, whereas the manual is uh, of the PS2 game is at least filled with lore. Yes, there is a scan of the manual in the HD collection, I believe, because I had yeah I had a little look at it. Um, but the actual paper manual you get in that box is uh, is minimal, uh, as had started to become the case by 2012. When this attack happens, uh, a young colonist, Leo Stenbuck. Uh, gets uh, involved in the attack, uh, sees several of his friends and people he knows get killed. Uh, he's running away and wouldn't you know it, he gets inside <laughs> one of the coolest orbital frames in the place. Security is, uh, is weak and uh, and he ends up uh, piloting this ship. He's basically a little kid piloting a giant robot spaceship. Um, but he's kind of helped out by the onboard AI. Yeah. And what I really love about this story setup, taking the uh, the mecha out of the equation for a second, it's it reminds me of fascinating uh sci-fi scenario uh involving the colony of Mars uh mm -hmm. and uh, sort of a parallel to the American Revolution where Mars uh wants independence from Earth, which you also see see back in a brilliant sci-fi series that's still going on uh, the expanse. And also it was a scenario setback for Capcom slash Takumi space shooter bullet hell game Mars Matrix, where you right. where you basically have to uh, smother uh, Martian revolutionaries <laughs> or a smart a Martian revolution. And Jamestown, which we covered, and yeah. that prompted some really interesting conversations about uh, about the nature of the the game and its depiction of colonization. And uh, yeah, that that span off into some yeah some proper grown-up conversation it was yeah. very good um whether we'll have those about this remains to be seen but there's a lot more of that in the manual and in the second yes. second game um, yes i think in uh it's probably fair to say that the first zone in the enders sent is more it's more of a background to the drama uh, uh, uh of, of 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 the main character leo uh, and yeah. his interaction with uh with the onboard uh AI of, uh, of Jehuti Ada. 
Yeah, there's a few sort of ideas it's playing with things that I have seen in in what anime I am familiar with, the sort of the nature of AI and humanity and a few sort of um, moral quandaries about, uh, you know, whether to uh, whether to save the few or or save the many. (laughs) Sometimes it's uh, it's less of a moral quandary, sort of whether to uh, to do the the task you've been assigned or to save some some humans, various things like this. Or the AI uh, taking on more human traits when it's convenient for the story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, overall, um, I didn't find a lot to be to find hugely stimulating or to be connected yeah. with in this uh, and the fact that the acting uh, and and uh, dialogue is very much of its time or possibly a bit before its time in the sense that I don't think it quite reaches the heights of Metal Gear Solid um, were a problem for me, Josh. Yeah, I just, I think I was surprised how, I mean, again, going into this thinking this is a Hideo Kojima game, and obviously we discussed that it isn't. Um, I was surprised how light the game was on story. Like, there's there's not much here to hook you in. Um, they they try, and I, I I I admire this, like trying to have this story about big action, you know, robot fights, and ultimately the story is actually much more intimate. Um, it's about, I mean, obviously. You know, there's the big station, it's under threat, but really the narrative of it is about this boy and him going on this life-changing journey. But, like, Leo is... I hate him. Um, I think he's <laughs> he's so he's so annoying and so whiny. And, like, I remember, because, you know, recently, um, at, at the time of recording this podcast, God of War is, a, is a, you know, a fairly recent game. And... Um, uh, Leon, you were talking about how much Atreus was annoying you during the playthrough. This, t- I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but this must have been like times 11. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. This is way worse. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, and probably made me appreciate uh, Atreus a bit more. This this is this is feels like yeah a real throwback to and again i am aware it's a 17 year old game um but yes uh, i feel like it was we we were back into the realms of yeah sort of poorly translated a very very kind of obvious or or melodramatic or melodramatic yeah. yes i love the way my favorite line was um uh when he gets he gets uh, given the task of delivering jehoti to this uh this corporation organization ship and he says all right, I'll do it just this one time. <laughs> so, <laughs> when do you think this scenario is going to come up again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as it happens, the sequel. Uh. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I think it's totally fair to criticize because you mentioned yes, it's a seventeen-year-old game, but I think even by the standards of the day, it's not. It's not great. Like um, as you mentioned, you know, Metal Gear Solid, the first one came out a few years before this, and I'm not, you know, I'm not holding up the first Metal Gear Solid as some kind of, you know, um, great example of writing in video games. But it's fun and it's over the top, and the characters are charismatic, and, and it you, impre- impressed a whole lot of people at the time that it came yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Whereas yeah. this is just this. I, you know, like stumbles like that. That's that 
you know that line you just mentioned, Leon. That's like a proper narrative stumble. Why? How? That doesn't make sense for the character to no. say in that moment. And and just Leo's kind of like back and forth of constant. Oh, should I kill people? Should I not? I'm pretty sure you've killed thousands of people based on the buildings that I've accidentally smashed through during the course <laughs> of the game. It's a real like Man of Steel situation where you you suddenly care about these two people, but I'm pretty sure. Or you've killed thousands of people before that. Yeah, it's it's just frustrating that like yeah. it's, it's trying so because it really does want you to care a lot about the narrative, but it just it falls flat. And then there's this uh, cliche of Baram Officer Viola, who we have to sort of empathize with in the end because she's had a she's had a hard life, you know. But uh, but yeah, I mean, she killed women and children and pretty much all kinds of innocent civilians. Uh, and, and it was all justified because she lost her lover. It's got all the cackling cliches of, of villains from, from yeah. cartoons. And, and I know some people are totally cool with that and they enjoy it. They embrace the sort of campiness, the pantomime of it. But to yeah. me, I'm kind of I'm a bit... Uh, a bit fed up of it. I I like it when it's when it feels a bit more self-aware and I don't think this game is self-aware. I don't think it realizes that it's trying to sell um you know a 1960s Batman villain as um empathetic. Yes. It's it's that's it. Yeah. It's it doesn't realize that's what's going on because like she she is a full on. She, I mean, she's Hannibal Lecter. Like she's, she's murdered so many people, and then suddenly at the very end, when she's crashing in, you know, we're skipping ahead here. But I feel like we're just going to get the story okay. out of the I way. I didn't issue a spoiler warning, but uh, but the, the, here it is. Yeah, but she she's you know you know floating into the atmosphere of Jupiter, slowly disintegrating, and the game is framing it as this really heartbreaking moment. And I'm just I'm just looking music. I'm looking at the my you know the clock on my uh, on my phone. Going, are we really spending this much time oh, saying goodbye well. to this yeah. character? It's it's yeah. it's really silly. Yes, and uh, to contrast how we feel about it, uh, director Okamura. Said says, everything is pretty much serious in this game. I wanted to come up with something that involved robots and then the universe and the concept of space. I worked these concepts into the storyline by writing about a world where people are living their lives very seriously. Mm. The frontier people who have left their homeland and are surrounded by peril, they have to create their own houses and their own food. Everyone's in this space environment where there's no air. If you go outside into the vacuum, you're dead. You're constantly surrounded by a world of death. I think the message is, what is life? What is living all about? If you slice the game in any direction, you'll run into that question. Like I had mentioned before, you're surrounded by death. There are giant robots in the game, and if a big robot swings his arm and hits a building, and if there are people in the building, they're obviously going to die. If you look at the main character, he's been bullied by his peers, and he's just not happy about life. He wouldn't care if he died tomorrow, not that he's going to commit suicide or anything, but he's not happy. Then there's Viola, the arch enemy whose ultimate goal is to be killed on the battlefield. You've also got another girl who's on your side and she does volunteer work and she's very upbeat, cheerful and optimistic. Finally, we have the AI system on board your mech who talks to you. It's an AI. It has no life. But having no life is one way to express living. So you've got a bunch of people who have different opinions towards living and this works together in very interesting ways. I wanted to convey all this stuff not just by showing it, but by conveying it through the game. The player is given a set of rules where you're saving lives and fighting. For example, there's a scene where people are crying for help, but your energy is close to zero. 
You might say to yourself, I want to save these people, but since I have to fight more enemies to save them, I could be killed. Maybe if I go to another area to grab a healing item, I could get back in time to save them. Well, if the player does that, he's going to come back and see that those people are dead. Mm. There are dilemmas you face as a hero. The hero never asks for money for saving people. It's something he does for no merit just because it's their nature. I want the player to be placed in that position where he goes, I have to work to save these people because if I don't, who will? To be fair to Okamura, I think in just the the flow of the game, that's at least a little bit more successful than the melodramatic cutscenes. I would agree. Yeah, there is. Uh, we've seen it. I think it's something actually that um, you know, games critics, uh, podcasters, reviewers, whoever else over recent years have been dismissive of games like uh, Infamous and Mass Effect, where it's given you very binary choices towards uh, you know certain fairly obvious ethical quandaries that might um, push you towards the dark side or the light kind of thing. And while this game does have various endings, it's not, it's not as uh, it's not like Knights of the Old Republic kind of, uh, you know, polarity system of, of, you know, yeah, virtuous or, or renegade kind of thing. Mm. There is a, there, there are certain uh, scenarios in the game where exactly as Okamura intended, I think there are sort of, you do, you do question what's the best, the best way forward. And, I guess it's it's somewhat hard to care about these kind of like you say there's very little world building in the sense of you see a few people in the opening cutscenes but you never other than the kind of lights dotted around in the colony and the screams when a building goes up yeah. you don't really get a sense that this is a colony of millions of people or how many it's supposed to be uh, It looks it, it looks uh, very deserted it does. Uh, yeah. you, you get the yeah. sense a lot of people have already fled or there just aren't many people there. And I realise that's a lot of that is tech issues mm. uh, and, you know, the constrictions they were working on on the PS2. But I still feel they could have done. You, you can do a little with a lot. You can, you know, there were there were uh, people uh, making games that looked like there were large populations at this at this time. They were just using kind of workarounds. You don't necessarily have to have. 100,000 fully animated individually AI'd polygons, uh, polygon beings to generate the sense of there being people. You need to create some kind of texture or motion, like in the same way that, you know, they used to do in sports stadiums, in sports games, give, give a sense that there are people there just by clever use of pixels and movement. My favourite fact about the voice cast is that Remy LaBeouf, who played young Leo, is now a uh, quite a successful and well-renowned jazz band leader. Uh, he uh, started releasing albums as the LaBeouf Brothers in 2009. He's now on his fourth album as a band leader. He's 31 years old now. Who's his brother? Shia LaBeouf? I don't know if he's related to the other LaBeoufs. Uh, <laughs> I'm just he, being silly, sorry. He could be. <laughs> he could, he, honestly, he could be. Anyway, uh, he, as well as doing the both Zone of the Enders games, his other voice work included uh, playing a character called The Brain in uh, Arthur's First Grade and Arthur's Kindergarten. But after that, he went into music. Yeah, so continuing talk about the, the cast and the cutscenes, we talked a little about the, the overall scenario and the world building and, and the acting. Uh, Okamura designed Zone of the Enders to tell a story through gameplay sequences rather than during cutscenes. As such, the staff focused on adding details such as the destroyed buildings to inform the player's objectives. Character designer Nobuyoshi Nishimura expressed difficulties in designing characters who would both fit the mechas and the 3D models in order to take advantage of the 3D space. Nishimura sought to move the camera as often as possible. He tried not to go overboard during cutscenes to emphasise the appeal of the mechas during gameplay. During development of the game, producer Hideo Kojima assisted the team. I did feel overall that despite all these 
very obvious shortcomings. And again, bearing in mind the age of the game, I'm playing it in higher resolution on PS3. Uh, you can see how sort of lacking in actual uh, polygons the uh, the graphics are, but it doesn't look it didn't look hideous to me. I don't know about you, Josh. No, yeah, I think uh, this is kind it of was an atmosphere. Yeah, it, it, this is kind of going into the next section we're going to talk about. But like any, anything I have that's positive to say about kind of the world building and the you know storytelling in this game is almost entirely down to the art and art direction and and world building. Like like I mean, there are downsides. I agree with you two that yes, it's quite barren. It feels underpopulated. But I really like the idea of, and it's not a new thing, it's kind of cropped up in games several times. I'm thinking Halo and, and Vanquish, but that that ring uh, ring design mm. for a space station uh, yeah. where it's orbiting and, and keep the gravity allows people to kind of uh, build houses and stuff like that on this orbiting ring. Um, I really, I always like that design. It's a trope that I find really appealing. Um, yeah. And I think the mech designs, you know, they look cool like they're really good uh, designs even like the the you know the unmanned drones um yeah. like i i like that they have been made with that in consideration well they're unmanned so obviously you need less stuff on there to support the you know the human that's piloting it so yeah. maybe it's just a bit more skeletal and it's a bit more functional um all of that kind of design work with the the robots and and some of the architecture and buildings and stuff like that all of that stuff really worked for me the mech designs especially the the three main ones uh viola uh jehuti and later on anubis uh they're they're top tier they're really really striking yeah. And incredibly lean and uh, yeah, intricate, intricately designed. Jehoti um, does have a little bit of Metal Gear Ray about him, um, yeah. especially his face, um, kind of really rep- reminiscent of Metal Gear Ray. But if, you know, Metal Gear Ray is my favorite design of any Metal Gear in that series. So if I'm comparing yeah. you to that Metal Gear, then you've done something right. Did he appear in uh, MGS2 for the first time, Metal Gear Ray? Yes, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a. It, it, I think they were already Metal Gear Solid Two was was uh, for a very large part based on the same engine of uh, Zone of the Enders, of course. Mm. Which is interesting because I'd say overall, and I realise it's displaying, portraying, being used for a very different kind of action. I was, th- yeah, I was thinking about the the kind of level of uh, sophistication and detail still present in Metal Gear Solid Two when when you go back to that game. Uh, things like the, you know, the being able to shoot everything into, you know, like grapefruits into small particles and the ice cubes melting and all the, all that, all that kind of crazy yeah. stuff, uh, ridiculous little touches that was in there. This game doesn't really seem to have anything like that level of detail. If if it, it feels very kind of basic, like the whole thing kind of hangs together in quite a a basic way. Nothing feels very sophisticated. I think and we're going to reach this uh, conclusion uh, later on in, uh, in this uh, podcast that this project probably didn't have the highest of priorities and the highest of budgets yeah. uh, at the time yeah. when it was, uh, was released. I think that's almost certainly fair. Or, but as or I say, developed, I should say. Yeah. Yes. As I say, I, I think uh, just, I mean, 
I've said before on this show, I was, you know, well into sci-fi, space fiction, space opera and stuff when I was a kid, although not, you know, not so much anime, but I think the anime craze kind of broke when I was already in my kind of late teens. Maybe I should have been the right age for it, but for whatever reason, it, it didn't catch with me. But um, but when I was a kid, I was forever pretending I was, you know, in spaceships and, and flying around in space. And so still uh, a game that actually allows you to kind of just zoom around in three dimensions uh, has a certain appeal and seeing the, the, the lights of the Connolly twinkling in the distance. Um, yeah, it, it does have a certain atmosphere when everyone, when, when all the dialogues <laughs> shut up, which is sadly not often enough. I wouldn't say. Yeah. I think we'll, I think the music plays a good part in that as well, which we'll discuss later. We will. Uh, Yoji Shinkawa was in charge of designing the orbital frames, uh, the game's mechas. Initially, the frames were to feature unique transformations, but he determined that flying and skating with Jehoti was enjoyable on its own. As a joke, Shinkawa placed the cockpit in the frame's crotch region. <laughs> yep. Jehoti's name is based on Jeheti, a deity in the Egyptian pantheon, better known as Toth which is Jehoti's name translated in ancient Greek. Jehoti's blade represents Toth's staff of knowledge. The Anubis orbital frame is named after one of the most iconic deities in Egyptian mythology associated with mummification and the afterlife. And Viola's orbital frame uh, is the Neat, isn't it? I think is named after, was it Night? Neat or Night? Is named after the Egyptian goddess of war, hunting, weaving and wisdom. Can I just say something about Jehuti skating? I did find that incredibly cool. If you uh, stay stay groundbound, how uh, he sort of weaves around uh, like a figure skater. It reminded me of uh, something else. There's another game where that happens, or at least one. Obviously, Mario skates in uh, in Galaxy in a, in a very beautiful fashion. I'm trying to. Th- There's definitely another bayonetta. Bayonetta. That's exactly the one. Of course, it's Bayonetta. Yes. More like on rollerblades, uh, but also like ice skates. Yeah. Yes. I wonder if that was an influence, uh, this on Bayonetta. I really like the art direction in game. I think the um, the way the mechas look and move and animate in game look fantastic. I think the cutscenes for this game are pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad. Um, I know going into the second one that they're going for 2D traditional anime anime uh, yeah. cutscenes, which is uh, yes, please give me that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> this um, the fit. The thing is, like, obviously, fidelity 17 years ago is not going to be as great uh, back then. Uh, that's true of you know the Final Fantasy cutscenes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yes. the thing is. I can watch the Final Fantasy VIII cutscene, and even though the fidelity of the characters isn't as great, it's still amazing to watch because the way it's directed, the way the characters animate, and and that's the important thing for me is movement. Like you can, like the skin textures cannot look quite that good anymore, but if you nail Mm. character movement, it's going to be timeless to a certain degree. Toy Story is kind of like a real testament to that. They just really nailed character movement in that that motion picture. Except um, the dog. Yeah. Except, well, yeah, well, true. Um, but, um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I just don't think the characters, just the way they move, you know, 
let put for you know character fidelity out of your head just the way they move the way they animate the way they move their mouths the way they move their eyes in all the cutscenes just looks really really rough and really they really look previous gen they look yeah, they don't even they look, look like PS2 one. gen yeah, they remind they, they remind me of uh, more than anything they remind me of the cutscenes in Knights which I actually love because of other elements of those but yeah. the sort of the slightly uh, stiff and ch- uh, sort of childlike looking models yeah did remind me of uh, Clarice and Elliot in uh, in in Nights, which which was weird because I wasn't expecting that. Yes, and um, on the HD collection, if you've got the the disc with the two, um, I can't remember if they released them separately at all as uh, as downloads. But um, you get when you first boot it up, you get this uh, very very nice looking anime, uh, and then it's like oh that's from the second game <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm yeah I'm, I'm also looking forward to that it should also be said just as a slight caveat to I think the issues that probably you and I had with the cutscenes looking particularly bad is that I don't think they did high voltage I don't think did anything much with them so they still look very uh, okay. uh, they, they still look very fuzzy and I think they're just um, sort of video they're just they're just videos of the original cutscenes playing yeah. and i think the contrast against the now i think they're 1080p the in-game graphics so i think the 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 the, the, ju- the juxtaposition is much starker than it would have been uh now mickey i think you played this uh in original format on on a on a cathode ray tube so may- maybe the contrast wasn't quite so striking yeah i mean the fidelity looked uh, just right on uh, on on uh, Bang and Olufsen yeah, uh, t- TV TV, but uh, that still doesn't take away from what you guys were saying about that they feel previous gen, so P- more PS one era than PS two era. Who knows? Maybe they these cutscenes were already done in the, in that time before they yes. uh, carried over development to the P- uh, to the PS two. And it's just a budgetary thing. You've already said like this game clearly didn't have as much money thrown at it as say Metal Gear Solid 2 or Final Fantasy 8 and mm-hmm. so they were working within constraints and limits but the but the fact is that our experience of them now is or certainly I don't know about yours Mikhail but mine and Josh's uh, yeah these look pretty crummy yeah so yes on to the sound Okamura says we took Mr. Kojima's suggestion here he had a, an input of using Technopop in a normal situation, the music is quite calm, but when you encounter an enemy, a couple of tracks are added. Once you're fighting, we add more tracks, and when you're about to be killed, there are even more. When yeah. you start defeating robots or escaping from them, we remove a few tracks and change the pitch and volume. The music really conveys the emotion of what's going on. Yeah, I really love the uh, interactive music in this game. Uh, you'll hear a lot of it, and there's a lot of repetition, uh, even in the short running time, because of the similarity of a lot of situations. But still, it's... Uh, in itself, it's quite uh, quite a nice feat, and I also like just the calm, eerie music when you fly through a section of the colony before things are about to heat up. So yeah, there's a, there's just a slight sense of unease about the whole situation that you're in, capturing the feel of a small kid who's uh, piloting a giant mecha and is in it all over his uh, over his head. I like all the kind of subtle uh, music cues. I just wish there was more of it and more variety. Um, yeah, there's just there's just not enough different scenarios for the game to kind of go through that would yeah. justify different musical cues and different uses of sound. Um, but what's there is really good. I actually, you know, I I feel the same. I think the music's really strong in this game, and I think the sound design's really good as well. Um, I, mm. I think um, the Jehotis 
sword slashes feel uh, suitably kind of uh, powerful and snappy, um, and they have that kind of. The, the, I mean, they it sounds like an anime, like it, it has that kind of hyper real um, soundscape, um, and yeah. everything's lightning fast and lightning quick. So it's yeah. uh, it's good. And that that uh, sound uh, accompanied by the visuals when you quote unquote accidentally blow up a large building is also <laughs> quite uh, <laughs> quite imp- more impactful than I thought it was going to be actually. Yes, I enjoyed it, uh, the music that definitely contributed to the spacey sci-fi kind of 90s-ish atmosphere for me. I know it's a very early 2000s game, but it definitely has a kind of 90s vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, the, the techno pop music definitely plays into that. And it works for me, uh, I guess, you know, partly being of a certain age, I probably get more out of electronic music from that era than I do from more contemporary stuff. So, uh, yeah, uh, exactly the same comments about there not being quite enough of it, which is surprising uh, given that there were five different composers worked on the game. Uh, <laughs> Norihiko Hibino, Maki Kirioka and Akihiro Honda did most of it. There were a couple of bits contributed by another couple of uh, names as well. Um, the soundtrack was released in April 2001 by Konami Music Entertainment. Again, uh, probably fairly collectible now i would have thought the cd i don't know if it's not dissolved away uh and yes the sound effects yeah agree uh nice and cracky and crunchy and crisp um actually more so than the get playing the game felt um and a, a great example we'll get onto the gameplay of course uh and a great example of the the audio actually i think elevating the gameplay which i found quite stodgy so uh, before we move on to that simon sloth from the forum says In a time when disposable income was a distant dream, I had to rely on birthday and Christmas presents for my next game. It was with a feeling of sacrifice that I chose this game for the sole reason that it was bundled with the Metal Gear Solid 2 demo. I think I replayed that demo more than any other game and learnt every nook and cranny. Zone of the Enders, on the other hand, was an afterthought. Many months later, an inconceivable thing happened. I had nothing to play, so with the promise of a Kojima-produced robot fighting game, I tried Zone of the Enders. Mediocre would be the best way of describing my opinion of it then. The gameplay options seemed limited, the story was very loose to put it kindly, and it was a very short experience. The moment-to-moment gameplay was exciting at first, but quickly became repetitive, and I really felt that Kojima's name was on it to add buzz, rather than because he had any genuine input. I suspect I'm wrong, but it certainly felt that way. Playing it again recently, I feel its brevity, limited gameplay options and repetition are even less forgivable. At a quick glance, it looks exciting to the casual observer, but it really isn't for the player. Gameplay then. Uh, so, Josh, you wanted to play this, kind of, <laughs> for for research purposes and uh, to tick it off your list. How did you find it? It's I, I found it to be quite a profoundly hollow experience gameplay wise <laughs> um it's not it's it's not bad it's not a you know i never felt like it was a struggle to get through this game yeah I but agree. it was not demanding anything of me in terms of real kind of tactical thoughts or like i i you know cat was watching me play this game like my, my partner and um I said to her, you know I'm shooting now and and you know now I'm doing melee attacks. I am literally just pressing the same button. (laughs) What I am actually doing is no different. I know the action on screen may look Mm. different, but what I am doing is exactly the same. And... Like at first, um, you know, in, you know, the first hour or so, the kind of 
pure kind of um, shallow joy of watching robots explode and be destroyed and what have you is enough. Um, but as the hours get, you know, go on, um, it just becomes really dull and repetitive. Um, and there, you know, there are a couple of bosses that, um, give you a little bit of a challenge until you figure out the trick and then they're no bother at all. Um, it's, yeah, Mm. it's, it's a weird one. It's, it's not, it's not a game I hated playing, but it's really yeah. not memorable in any meaningful way. Kind of like a Dynasty Warriors game? Yeah. No, I would I would make that comparison. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with much of what you say, but I think there are some uh there there's some really good things about just the, the base mechanics. I think actually what you des- described about the uh the shooting and the melee action being the same button, I feel that's was a very nice intuitive thing about the it's what uh, Peter Molyneux was working for all those years ago <laughs> the, the one yeah. button combat yeah it's it's kind of a yeah I, I found it a quite elegant uh, solution um, if you look at uh, the hut of the game you always see this big green circle around Jehuti when you're flying around right which mm. also sh- shows you where enemy squads are and other points of interest and this is something that also returns in Senko Noronde of all games. Basically, when somebody enters, an, an enemy enters that circle of yours, your sh- shots will turn into uh, melee strikes instead. And which I, I, I quite like that sort of clarity of design and uh, the, the elegance of uh, uh, the contextual button, uh, button yeah, presses there. Yeah, and there were enough other buttons to be getting on with because you've got a shoulder button... Uh, modifiers yeah. to, to, to attacks, plus, uh, yeah. either lock-on or, or kind of special energy ball thing. Um, plus you've got the fact, um, I, d- I think the controls will probably be handled differently now. Maybe they're even handled differently in the sequel. I've yet to play it. But the, the fact that you use triangle and cross to move up and down in, in space. Yeah, that's uh, not going to change. Kind of- Okay, it feels kind of old-fashioned. Like there, there may have been a, a more analog solution. That again, that feels a bit like a ha- hangover from a a previous gen game somehow to me. Like they could have had you pointing yourself with the sticks and thrusting with the sticks to to move more freely in three D space, whereas it feels a, a bit a bit clunky. I think that there are some a few good design decisions for it to to do it that way but um just by the way the game is laid out and designed it's never really that necessary to ascend and descend especially not during combat where you just home in on uh on your targets i I think and you've just zeroed in on my problem with it i i think it's less so the controls of the game that are the problem it's more that i don't think any of the enemies demand um you do anything more than just lock on and slash until they give up like yeah yeah, you need to move around a little bit in order to get past their blocks but every single end like regular enemy you know bosses are a different issue but every regular enemy in the game i could just zero in on them slash 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 until they're dead and then they're done i thought there were a few scenarios later in the game where you could get uh somewhat overwhelmed and surrounded yeah yeah, there are. I mean, because the the roaming um, parties of them, they can actually yeah. combine together, and you can get overwhelmed. But it's it's really Not a case of yeah, say. it's just really a case of backing off, using one energy ball to take out the most powerful uh, opponent there, and then slash 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 everyone else. Yeah. I think what 
would elevate this game. And I'm really hoping the sequel does this. And Mikhail, you, you can probably tell us or not, but like the enemy combinations, the encounter design just does a little bit more to force you to play a bit more tactically, whether that's just kind of enemy prioritization or just combining these abilities in a way um, that's actually useful rather than just doing something interesting because From you're bored I understand, of the combat. Based on some of the feedback we've had for this show is that we can expect an upgrade on almost everything for, yeah. for the second game. It's definitely a thing in the second game. And um, I think a, a major problem of the first Zone of the Enders, the game that we're actually discussing here, is that the there's just very little uh, variety in your basic enemies. Yeah, there's only three or four yeah. types, aren't there? As there yeah. is in the scenarios, uh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's like... This game has certain problems that perpetuate through throughout the whole experience, basically. Yeah, and and while uh, we were complimentary, coming back to the the aesthetic side, the audio visuals, uh, while we were complimentary about the look of the mechs and the overall kind of look of the the game and the and the sound, uh, there is again, obviously, playing even playing the HD version of a a, a six seven year old HD version of a seventeen year old game, it, you're not you're not likely to be truly wowed by the visual spectacle anymore so i think at the time as i say i have this vague memory of either playing a demo or watching a video of the game in action just things like those the the multiple beams of light flying away from this mech in towards other enemies and stuff like that look pretty cool you know it looked high res it looked modern it looked you know techno and sci-fi and exciting but a lot of that although the overall look of the game is still you know far from unpleasant it's not it's not you know, it's not hard on the eye uh, and it's certainly not hard on the ear, but any wow factor is is really long gone other than save maybe the kind of the design of the mechs. What I like about just uh, the play mechanics of uh, Zone of the Enders is that uh, the game feels very brisk and very uh, responsive. Do you think? I'm, see, I, I, I dispute this. And maybe maybe that maybe that's uh, maybe that's because uh, the, the the CRT element the uh, the analog uh, technology uh, and I was even I was even playing on a you know the the version I was playing was even fifty hertz but it didn't feel that way for some reason it felt felt very very speedy and very very fast and ex- especially exactly like the high speed robot action that was promised on the box you know or advertised. <laughs> well- this may be a subjective thing. There may be a slight difference between playing it on original hardware. Um, I think, if anything, the HD edition is 60 hertz and should actually be ever mm. so slight, you know, sh- should be slightly slicker. But it it didn't feel exactly turgid to me, but it felt, everything felt just ever so slightly stodgy. Like, um, I don't know, Josh. Really? It, it depends what actions you're talking about. I, I didn't find the like attacking with the sword and, and, and that stuff particularly stodgy. And I did find jetting around using the boost and that stuff stodgy. Mm. But like no. uh, consistently getting the grab to work um, mm. felt a bit stodgy. Um, I think mm. um, there are occasions where like the amplified attacks don't really work the way you think they were going to work and stuff like that it it felt a little slow to me like it i did i just wanted it all to be more like you know bayonetta speeds or something like that um yeah it's it's certainly not it's certainly not that fast i think 
I I went into it thinking, you know, this is going to be a mecha anime, so it's going to be fast, but they're going to have weight. Like, it's going to yeah. feel like you're hitting something heavy. So I think it was about the speed I was expecting That was the to balance. Be. They were obviously trying to strike, uh, yeah. based on what Okamura was saying earlier. He was saying he didn't want things to be too slow and, and weighty, but he didn't, yeah. Uh, but they needed to be yeah. not just people either. My my main problem is just how limit how limited uh, the combat really is yeah. in the game. Yeah, uh, even yeah. when you find and unlock a lot of the sub weapons, uh, a lot of which yeah. aren't particularly useful. Some not, of which are. No. Some some of which are pretty useful, yes. but not a lot of them. No, and uh, and then we must talk about those sections which aren't really combat based. There are there are. I mean, you can actually stealth some areas if you really want to make it ultra boring for yourself uh, and avoid combat. Um, it's actually to be it could be rewarded avoiding combat in terms of your overall ranking because you're less likely to uh, inflict collateral damage. But there are some sections where you are flying down these almost empty, very, very simple tunnel sections uh, to a place to touch a thing and then you fly back out. It's It all feels so kind of just incredibly basic uh, in uh, terms yeah. of, you know, quest design or whatever. Find a thing, touch a thing, fly out, fly back out, round a corner, out you go. Some really simple mazes, you know, that, that are just quite dull to traverse. There's very little going on visually in there and, you know, that kind of thing. A good reason not to, to avoid battle is that uh, there's actually a leveling system uh, in place. Well, indeed. So become, uh, become stronger. Yeah, it's a bit of RPG in there. How this game is structured is basically you have an overworld map, which is the, the space station that you float around in. And then there's all these different sections that slowly open up and more of them appear on the map. And But the, 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 the variety in scenery, of course, due to being all on the same space station and limited assets, is fairly... Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of variety there. And what you do usually is enter an area and destroy all the patrols in there or find a certain patrol that holds a key code or a pass a passcode, which you need to take to usually to another uh, map to... Uh, enter into a terminal and receive an upgrade or something you need to progress the, the game and the story further. And it's not always clear where the passcode will be and the terminal will be. So there's a lot of going into areas and key hunting and poking around yeah. and, and backtracking, which all feels yes. a lot like a... Yeah, busy work to... A lot of busy work, up. a lot of padding uh, yeah. to, to make a, a, yeah. a, a game of yeah that consists of limited assets... Uh, Longer. The, the one interesting objective that it did give you was when you had to take over one of the unmanned drones. I thought oh, that yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah, I liked mm. that as well. Just because for a moment, like, you're really, really fragile. Um, like, any of the... Like, it's the one point where, um, like, the regular enemies feel like they're a genuine threat for me. Um, Though it's quite easy to just skip any encounters um, with that guy. Yeah, there's another similar moment where uh, Ada has been corrupted by a, a virus and you, yeah. you, you, all your shields are down. And it says, don't get into any fights, whatever you do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that also that started with a, a, a very minor observation-based puzzle, which was, you know, where did I see a thing? You know, so you just have to remember which of the eight areas or whatever it is you have to go back to. But again, just something ever so slightly different rather than fly into another group of similar looking enemies and hammer the crap out of the square button. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, did we all play on normal difficulty? I did. Me too. Yeah. Uh, I think there there are there are lower and higher options. Um, you get gra- graded throughout the game, and there are different endings. So play the game on any difficulty setting and get an A rank in all five rescue missions. Uh, and during the end credits, you'll hear different music. Uh, for being great Uh, depending on your final rank you'll get a comment from one of the main characters b rank to hear leo a rank to hear ada and the s rank to hear selvis who is uh, a a squeaky voice passenger who you pick up quite early on in the game and sort of accompanies you in your cockpit the rest of the time church girl right church girl yes she does voluntary work she's a good guy uh, destroy all buildings and survivors during missions and SOS missions. Uh, also, you must destroy the colony shaft completely during the fifth and final SOS mission in the game. Uh, after 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 doing all that nasty stuff, continue onward. Tyrant will be your final boss. After defeating Tyrant, go to the mountain one stage and you'll receive the bad ending. Mm. So that's quite a lot of... You'd have to really go out of your way. Yeah. <laughs> to get, to yeah. get, to the, get bad the bad ending. ending. Yeah. Now yeah. I'm curious. Uh, I don't know if you chaps made a note of yours. Uh, I did. I uh, continued 15 times. I would say probably 13 of those defeats were two bosses. Um, I think I did 11 times. Yeah, 20 saves. My completion time is slow, as always. Uh, some people I've seen people describe this as a four or five hour game. For me, it was a seven hour, 20 minute game. Five hours and 30 minutes. Yeah. See, maybe your version did play faster, Mikhail. And maybe you're just better <laughs> at smashing robots. Uh, I killed 360 robots, 361 robots. Uh, my rankings were B, C, C, E, A. And my overall evaluation was a rank D. So not the worst. Normally I get a rank E whenever we complete games on the show yeah. that give you a ranking. So I guess I'd have had to get the bad ending. I think I killed 357 robots, but still got a D ranking for my trouble in the end. Oh, well, there you go. Was it worth yeah. it? <laughs> I think I got an E. Yeah, you suck. Because I skipped <laughs> I skipped some of the the uh, rescue missions, so I oh, think right. I was punished for it. Yeah. Yes, yes. rightly so. Yeah. Yeah. Next up from the forum, we have Mr. Ixolite, a new contributor, I believe. Apologies if that's not how you pronounce that. I'm not a Metal Gear fan. I'm probably in the minority that bought this game with no interest in the fabled Metal Gear Solid 2 demo. Ironically, Zone of the Enders almost felt like a glorified demo itself, and not just due to the surprisingly short length. Not only do the environments and challenges feel limited, the story itself feels like a prologue that ends just as the world seems ready to open up. The first time I beat the game, I was left in disbelief. Surely this couldn't be it. Surely you could visit new places and take the fight to the bad guys. Its meagre length will always be the defining facet of the original Zone of the Enders to me, but the fact that I bought the game used softened the blow. Plus, by the time I got it, the second runner was only a few months away. For all its shortcomings, Zone of the Enders ultimately did leave me excited for the sequel. Most of that can be attributed to the controls for Jehati, as it was insanely satisfying to dash, slash and blast your way around the battlefield. Jehati's design is striking and its animation makes it even cooler. My favourite little touch is how it skates along flat surfaces, leaving sparks and trails in its wake. The story and characters are not exactly groundbreaking, but the presentation of them was good enough that the death of Viola felt like it had some weight to it. And due to the abrupt to-be-continued ending, I was left wanting more of this universe. Ultimately, there's little reason to play the first ZOE with the second game available, but it's worth noting that much of what made the sequel great was already present here. This includes the surprisingly addictive versus mode and a gloriously cheesy theme song that somehow found its way into my <laughs> disc man. <laughs> yeah, versus mode. 
does this unlock or was it there from the start? I wasn't, I didn't notice if I noticed it before. I but. think it's there from the start. Okay. So yeah. yes, it's a, it's a, it's kind of an arena mech on mech fighting game. We've seen these over the years. Uh, Mikhail's beloved Senko no Ronde and obviously going back virtual on. Virtual on, yeah. It's more virtual on than uh, Senko no Ronde. Yeah. But with less, less complicated controls. Uh, Interestingly are, enough, um, the uh, PS2 and Wii uh, Dragon Ball fighting games, Dragon Ball Tenkaichi Budokai 1, 2, and 3, mm-hmm. borrow almost the exact same control sc- scheme of Zone of the Enders, which makes yeah. a lot of sense uh, sense for all the high-flying, beam-firing, melee yeah. action game of a Dragon Ball game. It's actually... Who made those? Bandai not, Namco, someone? Yeah, Spike developed them, and uh, Bandai right. Namco published them uh, uh, together with Atari in the West. Ah. Uh, not very deep games at all, but they captured the uh, spirit of the anime quite nicely. Not to be confused with the recent Arc System Works spectacular, indeed, of course. Indeed, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, you have a choice of uh, seven frames, I think. Is that including the secret ones? It's either, yeah, it's, I think it's seven, including two secret unlockables, uh, 11 arenas, and eight AI difficulty settings, like a Street Fighter game. So you can play this against a computer to your heart's content. Uh, I, I had one game. Um, <laughs> maybe I'd have played this two-player back in the day. Yeah. Uh, with with some pals, I, I I wonder how much uh, how many legs it would have had. Um, I don't think it's uh, I don't think this often comes up at fighting game tournaments. Anyone into this? No, no I, I could I couldn't find anybody that wanted to play it with me, unfortunately, and I <laughs> right. I didn't have the heart to uh, play it against the CPU. I don't think they bothered uh, coding in online for the HD re-release. Maybe they will for the forthcoming remaster of ZOE two. Did that have the Did that have a versus mode? I don't think so, actually. I think oh, okay. they did away with it. But uh, yeah, don't uh, don't quote me on that. Could be <laughs> uh, that we could yet, by the end of this year, have Zone of the Enders Virtual Reality Online Super High Def Ultra HD Edition. Who knows? Yeah. Ashman86, also on the forum, canorins.com slash forum, says, In June 2001, I was working my first ever job as a games attendant at a local amusement park. I was 15 years old, finally earning some disposable income of my own and still reeling from the untimely demise of the Sega Dreamcast. Until this point in time, I had only ever owned PC and Sega gaming hardware, and I was coming to grips with the fact that I'd have to branch out into other console spaces after years of staunchly defending the house of Sonic from my misguided friends at school. Naturally, I stepped into the embrace of the Dreamcast killer itself, and I'd saved up enough money to buy not one, but two brand new games to play on my shiny uh, matte black with a pretty blue LED PS2. Dark Cloud was at the top of my wish list for current releases, but my most anticipated title for the system was none other than Metal Gear Solid 2. Since it wasn't out yet, I did the next best thing and spent $50 on the recently released demo disc that just so happened to include a copy of Bizarre Mech Game starring a teenage anime boy, Zone of the Enders. Now, at the time, my slightly younger sister had a boyfriend whom she'd met playing online, Fantasy Star Online. That's a whole other story. And he was staying with us for a week. This is important because it was his presence that has forever coloured my memories of ZOE. He was a year younger than I, but he'd already had his PS2 since launch and had long since completed and set aside ZOE and the MGS2 demo disc. He also had a certain competitive streak about him, particularly as it pertains to our shared hobby of video games, and he and I came to view one another as rivals. It was friendly enough of a rivalry, but a rivalry all the same. Excited to see that ZOE had a two-player versus mode in the game, I asked him to go a few rounds with me. He destroyed me. Time and time again, I could barely get a hit in. 
Having sufficiently schooled me, he then tossed the controller casually aside and left with an arrogant laugh. I was seething. The next day, my sister, our parents and her boyfriend left the house to show him around town, but I stayed at home, locked up in my room playing Zone of the Enders on the hardest difficulty of the game. I was mostly pleased to discover a flashy and stylistic action title with a largely forgettable story, which I found strange considering Kojima's involvement. Looking back on it now, I can remember only the rather emotional and whiny protagonist, whose demeanour, another friend and I would joke, was entirely at odds with Dark Cloud's similarly aged Toan. Or Tone Or Toan. I've not played Dark Cloud. My apologies. Oh, and one other thing. I remember the game's cliffhanger ending and its anticlimactic battle with Anubis that I'd never resolve as I'd lost interest by the time Zone of the Enders 2 released. What I remember most vividly is that when my family returned, I immediately challenged my sister's boyfriend to a rematch. He smirked at me, brushing aside a long black tuft of hair from his eye. Okay, he said with irritating hubris. I was untouchable, bouncing around the screen at lightning speed, closing in for melee damage and dashing away unscathed. I beat him once, a flawless victory, and then again, and a third time. Beware that, when fighting monsters, you yourself do not become a monster, wrote Nietzsche. I'd like to report here that I was a bigger person, but that's not the case. After all, I too was an insufferable teenager, and now it was my turn to be smug. I smiled at the guy. Do you want to play another one? He dropped my controller onto the chair as he stood up. How lame, he said. You spent all day practicing this game just so you could beat me. He was right, and I knew it. It took some of the wind out of my sails, but not all of it, because even now I can't tell the story without a <sighs> stupid grin on my face. So yeah, Sony the Enders was all right, but that Metal Gear demo was worth every penny. So we're not officially covering the game that came between the two games in either podcast, but I thought we might cover it off. Uh, I've had a little look at it online. This was Zone of the Enders, The Fist of Mars for the Game Boy Advance. This was actually developed by the interactive arm of the same Sunrise anime studio that uh, had made that preview uh, film that was released uh, with the with the fancy edition in Japan. It reviewed okay averaging just under 70% from multiple outlets. It's kind of, having looked at it, it's kind of more of a visual novel-y kind of thing. But there it is. It exists. None of us has played it by the sound of things. No, you know what? This is the first time I've ever heard of it even. Hopefully that's true for some of our listeners as well. So yes, uh, seek it out if you are a uh, Zone of the Enders super fan. And it did come out in all three regions, Japan, North America and uh, the EU of Europe <laughs> in 2001 to 2002. Yeah, it got localized and released. So there it is. Uh, it's probably worth a few quid, I would imagine. I'm going to guess it was a limited limited run and it's uh, collectible. But I might be wrong. It might be £5 on eBay. Uh, you can seek it out if you want, if you're interested, source a copy. There was a TV series following up uh, the game um, based around, I guess, the same uh, animation uh, as that preview video. ZOE Dolores I TV series ran for 26 episodes from April to September 2001. A full season, I guess. I imagine that's only in Japanese, though. So, uh, but if you're the kind of person who digs Japanese anime enough to kind of get what's going on or have even learned Japanese, then that's out there too, I guess. I guess you can yeah. buy a DVD. Like uh, like Otacon. Like Otacon. A final long-form contribution from the forum comes from Ksub01000, who says the design of the various mechs is one of this game's strongest qualities. Each of them is wonderfully distinct, organically combining elements of futuristic high-tech science fiction with Egyptian mythology. 
The legendary Yoji Shinkawa definitely struck gold with this one. Their animations are also excellent, seeing Jehoti twisting and turning in the air while dodging enemy fire, scratching the ground after a nosedive, or leaning forward in a more aerodynamic position while dashing is a very satisfying experience. The environmental design is striking, if not very detailed, and the technical similarities to Metal Gear Solid 2's engine make me all giddy inside. Likewise, the combat is really solid. It doesn't have quite as much depth or variety as I would like, but the animations are very satisfying and punchy. The enemy tales are easily readable and their attack patterns remain constantly fair throughout. I also very much appreciate the fluidity of the control scheme. Fully three-dimensional movement is a notoriously difficult thing to recreate with two-dimensional input methods such as conventional controllers, but this game gets it right, for the most part, thanks to its two dedicated verticality buttons. Even during the most frenetic battles, I rarely lose my sense of orientation and can instantly tell which way is up and where the various enemies are located. I have a soft spot for idiosyncratic but functional control schemes and this one definitely works for me. The bosses are all enjoyable to fight and constitute the highlights of the game in my opinion. You can even see trace elements of the dramatic enemy squad trope associated with MGS in them, although they're unfortunately nowhere near as fully developed as Foxhound or Dead Cell for example. Pacing and structure is where things start to take a wrong turn, however. Much has been said about this game's short length, but that is not inherently an issue for me. Different design philosophies benefit from different playtimes, and brevity is often the soul of wit after all. Unfortunately, it's this game's insistence on padding out said playtime with pointlessly obscure backtracking that sours me on it. I don't mind backtracking as long as it's properly implemented like in Metroid for example, but here it seems to me like the developers had to craft an entire game with only a quarter of the ideal number of levels. Constantly flying back and forth between similar looking areas in order to pick up various MacGuffins does not exactly provide satisfying pacing. I think the issue would have been lessened if the game's scope had been reduced to a district or two instead of pretending to encompass the entire colony. In my recent playthrough, I made the crucial mistake of taking a lengthy break during a particularly disorientating sequence which forced me to resort to a guide when I went back to it two weeks later. The last third of the game composed of the enemy gauntlet in the mountain area followed by various cutscenes and boss fights and then ended up by being by far the most enjoyable part of the experience. I think my overall opinion would be significantly more positive if the entire game was as tightly polished. The story mostly feels like a half-baked afterthought, although there are a handful of nice moments towards the end where the influence of some of the MGS co-writers shines through. Thank you, K-Sub-Zero. Uh, I, I did actually want to say, while uh, I think uh, he's absolutely right about the uh, it's being entirely possible to lose the thread of where you're supposed to be next in the overall game, uh, coming back to the sort of moment-to-moment, -moment, the AI, um, sorry, the, the UI and the player interface stuff, the actual, the heads-up display in-game um, works pretty flawlessly uh for me and um although as you said Mikhail, there are some er sometimes it will give you a a mark on the hud showing you where something is and you won't necessarily be able to get there straight away i think for the most part the the sort of um yeah the heads up display and the and the surrounding screen furniture that that encompasses uh, your jehoti yeah i wonder if this had been on a a contemporary system rather than having to push a button to go into a map the map would be a, an overlay on the screen with uh, with more power and resolution available i think that would have been nice not having to dip into a map screen um but yeah uh, it'd be interesting again i never played the sequel so i don't know if that also has a map that you go into but i wonder if I'm not sure how much of a, of a reworking this year's release is going to be and how much they'll be addressing things like that. I assume, given that they're 
putting in VR support. It's There's a relatively large amount of remaking going on rather than just another spit and polish. Let's move on to three-word reviews then. Follow us on Twitter at Kane and Rinse. Okay, uh, Mr. Uh, Ixolite says, proof of concept. Ashman86 says, $50 demo. Simon Slot says, needs more Kojima. Superfundercast says, Neon Genesis Kojima Gellion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Turtle Oversight says, Mechal Gear Solid. And Beer Fishby says, Emo Mech Battles. Invisible Kraken, that's a great name, uh, says, Metal Gear Emo. Yeah, detecting a theme here. Uh, <laughs> James McCall, however, says, Space Robot Ballet. And Camille Rousseau says, Viola Jupiter Descending. That's a good one. Nice work, everybody. So, to summarise Zone of the Enders, I have finally played it. After all these years, it's another one off the never-ending backlog of uh, games that I feel I ought to have experienced. And I have, and I don't have a ton of interesting things to say about it. It was fine. I didn't hate it. I was never overly frustrated or deeply bored. Uh, It wasn't one of those games where I was dreading the next session, which does happen from time to time, Um, but nor was I anticipating it wildly. Uh, It was smashing the robots up was fine. It was in space. There was some nice music. Uh, The cutscenes were like they were from 20 years ago or more uh, and were a bit naff, Uh, but there were some nice robots. I'm talking like a child. (laughs) that's that's what this this game's um, reduced me to it's fine Um, the double pack is obviously still out there and available for those of us who keep hold of our previous gen systems Um, but I am it was was enough to make me look forward to the by almost every single account superior sequel uh, for the show later in the year Um, and just to have that grounding now just to know where it started even if it's a different director and um and whatever it, we know it follows on the story follows on um i don't know if it offers any conclusions um that i will that no spoilers please but that remains to be seen yeah that's what i that's what i wanted to ask you how are you looking at playing the sequel after playing the first game yeah well, i'm hopeful that this yeah. this being as as uh, one of our three word, word reviewers had it proof of concept uh, it sounds as i say so many pieces of correspondence we've had we actually i was surprised how few normally we'll get three word reviews which say you know sequel is better which we don't include because it's not actually <laughs> a review of the game we're covering but we didn't get any of those, but I was kind of expecting them because that seems to be the absolute like 100%. I, I, I don't think I've ever heard a dissenting voice that said, oh, no, only the first of the Enders is the one worth playing. So so I am yeah. looking forward to it because I'm expecting a game that is not only uh, better than this one, uh, more enjoyable, but also one that has probably stood the test of time better. And yeah. it's been deemed good enough for a 2018 you know, reboot, re-release, remake, whatever, whatever it is. And um, yeah, I, I don't actually know which version I'll be playing for the show now, because uh, obviously I, I own the PS3 version. But if the if the next version comes out and gets rave reviews before we do that show, I might play. Well, I might even play both. Who knows? Um, but yes, uh, not strongly recommended, but don't, you know, don't go out of your way to avoid it either. <laughs> Mikhail. It was very interesting uh, going back to the first Zone of the Enders for me, loving the second game so much and not expecting much. So, you know, in that sense, I was never disappointed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the main problem that we discussed, and I'm going to um, maybe tie into a lot what has been said already also by the community feedback, is that 
I don't think this game had had a lot of uh, backing behind it uh, in terms of budget and time and and personnel assigned to it. Mm-hmm. So on all accounts, the the, the storytelling, the uh, the cutscenes, the just the the uh, amount of assets they had to work with, there's just not a whole lot there. Like uh, Camille uh, Case of Zero said, there's nothing wrong with the short game per se. But a short game that feels padded out. Yeah. You know, I won't use the word damning, but uh, you just can't escape the notion that uh, it's just a very thin experience overall. Placing the first zone in the end is in the context of its sequel. It almost feels wrong to call the second runner a sequel. Because by anything, uh, if, if anything, uh, also... You know, Mr. Exolite used this term, the pr- a prologue. It really does feel like a prologue uh, to the second runner. Even, uh, you know, the, the, the cliffhanger ending, the cutoff point to it kind of alludes to that. So, yeah, maybe. Maybe Zone of the Enders uh, in an ideal world uh, would have been uh, the first chapter of uh, the full Zone of the Enders game, including the second runner, with a more... Uh, with a more unified uh, visual direction where it concerns the uh, the, the cutscenes and the storytelling. Hmm. But, you know, it is what it is. And it's not a bad game, but uh, it, it's by all means highly playable. Uh, like you you also said, it's not like you're going to be very frustrated. There was, there's one section in the game that I found a little bit annoying where you have to mm-hmm. defuse bombs and get attacked at the same time uh, by uh, oh, yeah. different different squads. Yeah, I died once there or twice. Yeah, I, I think that's where my most deaths occurred actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean it's a, it's a highly playable game but you could spend your five and a half hours uh, or, or seven much mm. better uh, playing something else and only play it if you're really curious. Uh, if, if, like me, you you love the sequel and you're really curious about uh, the, f- the first installment. Are you making but, uh, a podcast about it? Well, Josh, uh, it was your idea that we played this mm-hmm. uh, yeah rather tepidly received game. It's all your fault, Jay, uh, Josh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, they, they re- yes, we've 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 struggled through uh, way tougher tasks, I would say. But uh, yeah, w- yeah w- was it worth it? I suggested we covered Zone of the Enders because I wanted to play the second one, and having played the first one, I yeah, I I still want to play the second one uh, because a lot of um, the foundational stuff in this game is good. Like I like the art direction, I like the sound design. I think there's something there with the combat, but I think the game that it's in, this first one at least, just doesn't really capitalize on it. Um, it's just, it's just a bit soulless. Um, and that's not the most damning thing I could say about a game. Like mm. it, it's the, it's not actively unpleasant like it's it's not as you say it's not a chore to get through it's just i think i'm gonna you know in in the months that will go by before we cover the second one i think i will have forgotten most of this game because it's it barely leaves an impression and it really doesn't ask much of you to experience it um i'm glad i mean i'm glad i've uh, played it just because i think um if what people are saying is true about the sequel my 
my positive impressions will be that much more positive just to have this as a point of comparison. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I can recommend this, but it's certainly not a torturous experience. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's certainly uh, interesting lists to be made, the lists of video games where looking back, the sequel was everything that the first game kind of promised uh, where the first game was entirely eclipsed uh, by the second game, you know, in, in the opinions of, of many or most. Uh, but then there's also those where there's the kind of the converse, isn't there, where the first game in, in a series kind of blows everyone away, knocks it out of the park, and then the sequels always feel like kind of limp. I think you guys, uh, you guys are going to like the sequel, uh, and especially uh, Leon. Um, there are some really cool uh, references to another Konami series that you and me uh, share a lot of passion for. Gradius. Mm. Yeah, I noticed that in the uh, in the anime intro to the collection. I I noticed Vic Viper, and I thought, yep. aha, Vic Viper. <laughs> uh, we'll bring you that one later in the year, towards the end of the volume of the podcast. So then it remains for me, Leon, to thank Josh and Mikhail, as well as all of our correspondents, editor Ryan, and all of you for listening. If you've enjoyed this show and all the efforts we put into the shows that we put out every week, please subscribe, rate, review, or even better, donate a dollar a month or more. If you can afford at patreon.com slash cane and rinse, you'll get every show a week earlier than you would otherwise and an exclusive monthly minicast and the knowledge that you're helping us keep on doing what we do. Next time, in issue 323, it's back to the Blue Planet for a tale of Black Knights, White Magic and Red Wings in our Final Fantasy IV podcast. <laughs> <laughs>